To Humans with a Purpose. Today, I have a very special guest. He is someone that I've been following for a few years now. He's been on several journeys. He started his journey with moving across different countries, and he's on an inwards journey as well. He is an author of two books that have left a profound impact on me, and he also has spent time with God's friends of what we call the Olia. I'm so excited to introduce you to Michael Sujic. Michael, thank you so much for joining Humans with a Purpose. Assalamualaikum. Thank you very much. Walaikum salam. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Michael, you are in Istanbul. Thank you for joining us all the way from Turkey. I know there's a lot going on in Turkey right now. Well, not not all that much in my world. Uh, it's 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 pretty peaceful. I live by the sea and I go swimming every day. And I'm looking at a boat uh, right now, right outside my, my window. Well, um, I want to be where you are right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you, you're, in the, you're in the right place. Everyone is where they're, they're meant to be. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. And, and we are stuck to our places for now. So Michael, and I, I, I'm calling you Michael, but your Muslim name is Harun. That's right. You can call me Michael. You can call me Harun. It's, it's fine. Anything. So I want to ask you about purpose and how you define purpose. Well, I've never really tried to define purpose. I mean, to be honest, an intention, a mission, a reason for being alive. There are all kinds of ways of defining it. And I, I don't look at the world in terms of having a purpose. I've, I, I never have, to be honest. Uh, a toaster has a purpose, a piece of machinery, a, a car, mm-hmm. um, purpose. It's a function, possibly. I haven't really given it much thought, to be honest. So if, if I rephrase the question of everyone has a reason for being here in this world, what do you think that reason is? To get sort of cut to the chase, from my point of view as a Muslim, I, I believe that everyone is here to know God. And I believe that that's what religion is, is about all religion, not just Islam, but every religion. It's not about identity. It's not about community. It's not about ideology. It's not about philosophy. Hmm. It's not about any of those things. It's about knowing God. And we know this from our tradition. God, according to our, our belief, God ranged the entire creation before him and said, am I not your Lord? And the entire creation confirmed that that was the case. They said, yes. And our, from my point of view, and uh, from a spiritual point of view, we're here in order to know God. And and this is why we have revealed religion, is to help us know God. And we do this through prayer, through remembrance, through stripping away unnecessary things. So it's, to me, that's why we're here. It's not to change the world. The world is passing. Uh, The world changes. I mean, this pandemic that we're going through now is uh, is a perfect example of this. This is beyond the control of anybody. 
Right. You, you know, the power of, of Allah through a microbe, through a, something we can't see. So this idea of changing the world is, is a problem, I think. Uh, it's, and it's a, it's a modern problem because people think that they're supposed to do that. There's, you, you're supposed to make a mark. You're supposed to ch change things. If you have a sacred life, you will change things. But it isn't as if you're going to change the world. You may change one small thing that helps, you know, change the heart of someone just by your example. We're not out to change the world. We're out to know why we're here. And why we're here is to know God. When you understand that, when you, you have un union with God, this is, this is the, the, really the, the goal. So there's a payoff. It's not just simply that you know God in your head. You know God yeah, here. Right. God said through the, on the, the tongue of the prophet Muhammad, he said, the whole universe cannot contain me, but the heart of the believer can contain me. Now, this is a reality. This isn't some poetic statement. This is absolutely real, that everything exists within the heart. Everything, the entire cosmos, everything is within the human heart. And it's to, to unlock that is what the job that, that we have. And you can see that this people who achieve things in the world. Uh, and I've met many people who are very capable. They've been recognized. They're celebrities. They're wealthy and so on. They're not happy. They're not happy because of that. I can guarantee it. It doesn't bring you happiness. It doesn't bring you peace of mind. It doesn't bring you anything. It brings you maybe convenience or recognition or something like that. I, I believe that um, the, our purpose is that. And, and by opening the heart, by recognizing how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how God exists in, in the world, in our perceptions, this has a transformative impact on what's around you when you're with people who have this, who have attained this inner knowledge of God, they have this, they have an incredible, incredible impact on everything around them. And I've been lucky to have been able to sit with many of these people. So let's talk about your journey. And you talk about knowing God, our purpose, our goal is to know our Lord. How did you start that journey? And who helped you? I grew up in the middle of the 20th century, time when you know, it was the post-war period immediately after World War II in the U.S., and it was uh, prosperous. My father always said he wanted to be a millionaire. That was what you were supposed to, you, to, to be a millionaire, to have a swimming pool, to have a new car, to be upwardly mobile. Mm -hmm. In my generation, many of my generation, we kind of rebelled against that which was part of what happened with the beat generation and the hippie movement and so on, all the materialism. But underlying all that is a, was a kind of atheism. Even though people went to church and so on, it, was, it became harder and harder to, to grasp the immediacy of God. In my generation, people experimented with psychotropic drugs. And the, the initial impulse was to reconnect with, with God, with spirituality. And uh, of course it was artificial, but I remember the first person who ever told me about LSD, he described his trips, his acid trips, 
as his books of God. That's the way he, that's the way that he described it. And if you talk to many of my contemporaries who went through this period, it was a very, very spiritual experience for them. Of course, it's artificial and it's illusory. It's unreal. And, you know, when I, I went through a period where I experimented with these things, and one of the things that I, one of the conclusions I came to was that um, it's temporary. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's illusory. You, know, you have some insight. Five hours later, you're back to normal. Right. And, and one of the things, one of the insights I had actually from one of these trips was I realized you had to do something that in order to change your inwardness, you had to do something. At that time, that, that was a big insight for me. I mean, I, I sort of recount my own journey of discovery in that direction in the book, Heart's Turn. Uh, there's a, a short chapter on, on my own sort of journey. Yes. So, I mean, I don't go over that territory exactly, but um, I was a young actor and performer. I was also a musician. That for me was like a religion. And for most artists, the, their art, they look at as a, as a religion. For me, I went on a kind of journey. I, I became disillusioned with, not with so much with the theater, but with show business, agents and, and producers and casting directors and all of this thing and waiting around and on sound stages and things. I really hated it. I, I dis, disliked the insecurity. And you're always out of work, generally speaking. You're always looking for a job. Even if you're working, you're worried. So I, I, I didn't like any of it. And I, I was ambivalent about it. And then at the same time, I had a kind of an inner crisis where I realized I had no, I didn't know anything. I just knew this stuff that I was doing. I was talented and thought I wanted to be successful and so on. But uh, one of the things that I was thinking about when you were talking about purpose, for me, my life has never been defined by purpose. It's been defined by need. I have always felt needy and in one you, way or another. What do you mean by need? Well, actually, it's need changes. When I was a young actor, I needed, I needed to be successful. I, I needed to, to, make a, to have a break. And it was an almost neurotic thing until you make it. And then when you make it, you, you need to stay on top of what you're doing. So there's this pulsion. When I had a spiritual crisis, I needed to find a resolution. I needed to find a way to pray to God I needed to find a way to open up my heart somehow. I got sick at one point and I was stuck with myself and I, my mind was just churning on and I realized I had no control over my mind. So initially I, uh, I read books on mind control and you know, how do you stop your thoughts and, and so on. And then I came across a book which really appealed to me at the time. It was called Zen Showed Me the Way by um, Sesu Hayakawa, who was a well-known Japanese actor who uh, was also a Zen Roshi. And he claimed that this was the secret of all of his success in life and so on and so forth. So, the, you know, that appealed to me because that was what I was into at that time. Uh, and so, But then, you know, looking around, it was very hard to find something that made sense 
and the, and this was at a time when there was a, there was an interest in orient you know in eastern religion and hinduism and buddhism and so on and not so much islam this is like the um, 70s this is the six, six, this 60s. is the 60s, 60s. the 60s okay. and 70s and early 70s right so uh, you know i went through all i went through like a, a period of about a year looking and then i i discovered I had one of my cousins, he, he uh, was an omnivorous reader. He read everything. He was in the book business and he, he turned me on to Sufi literature. And it was, you know, some of it was kind of bogus and not real, but I didn't know. But it was very, it was very appealing to me. And particularly the idea of dhikrullah, the idea that you had an inward reality and yet you're in the world, but not of it. In other words, you, you don't have to leave the world altogether because I'm by nature very worldly. And dhikr Allah uh, is, and dhikr Allah it's a, is it's a remembrance of God. It's remembering God. So initially I didn't know what it was, but the, uh, the idea, the notion that you say something over and over again, and it has an impact on the heart. I understood this because as an actor, this is what you do. You repeat something over and over and over again. And then what happens? The rehearsals, right. Yeah, rehearsals in French, it's called repetition. You repeat. I became very ambivalent about the theater in a certain way because I realized that theater is about conflict and it's about invoking very dark aspects of the self. Hatred, you know, jealousy, rage, uh, frustration, lust. So I, I started having a, a problem with this because I thought it, it'll have a very bad impact on my inner life. You know, I started to become more in, interested in what was in the heart. Uh, you know, I always wanted to play Iago, which is uh, in Shakespeare's Othello. It's a great character, but he's a horrible person. I mean, he's a very, very terrible, evil man. You have to invoke that, those emotions. You have to bring them out. And a lot of, uh, you know, actors justify this by basically saying that they can experience the, the sort of breadth of human experience without the consequences, without suffering the consequences. But I realized at that time that that's actually, it has a consequence, but it's an in internal consequence by, by invoking rage, by invoking and thinking about lust and, and hatred and all these different, very terrible emotions, I, I started to be worried about that. So I, I had this idea that we, there could be a theater that was benign, you know, that invoked only beautiful things. And of course, there's no conflict. It's, it would be boring, completely boring, which is why you don't see that. And the goal that we have on, on a spiritual path is to have this sense of intimacy and what we, we would call ihsan. Uh, why are people unhappy? They're unhappy because they feel alone. They feel isolated. They feel they're cut off from something. But the fact of the matter is that God is present. It's and, in here. Uh, it's, it's in present. He, he's, he's in here. He's out there. He's everywhere. He's, right. and because we, and people don't think about God anymore. And so they don't realize that if, they, if you look out on the horizon, it said in the Quran, there are signs on the horizons and in, your, in your, the self, if man but knew. So everywhere you turn, is Allah's face. Goal for the Muslims is 
a state of ihsan. There's Islam, which is the external practice of Islam as transmitted in the Quran and through the Sunnah. There's Iman, which is faith, where you, you know instinctively what's true. But there's Ihsan, and Ihsan was described by Sidna Jibreel as to worship Allah as if you see him, for while you do not see him, he sees you. It's the presence mm. of God. There are many states that people go through that muraqaba, which is watchfulness, vigilance, right. where you're aware that God is watching you. You're, you're in the presence of God. And all of them, and then there's mushahada, which is the people who are on a very high spiritual level, they actually see, they experience God. They experience yeah. God. Yeah. And, and this is really interesting because. What you're describing here is that for a Muslim, this concept of Isan, which is being watched by God, being in the presence of God, you're never really alone. And that, that ties yes. back to what you were saying is the intimacy with God. And that's, that's where, right. and that ties back to, to know God is to know yourself, being intimate with yourself, going back to your heart right. and God's resides in your heart. That's right. The only vehicle that we have to know God is the self. But the, the irony or the paradox of this is we have to, get, have to get rid of the self. But you can't get rid of the self without, you, you need the self in order to get rid of the self. It's, it's a conundrum. And, know, and, and where does and, the ego, how does the ego play a role in this? There's nothing good from our point of view. There's nothing good in the ego. This is diametrically opposed to the whole value system that we're all raised in. You we're supposed to, you know, like make a mark in the world and be great and be amazing. From our point of view, the, the ego is the enemy. All of your enemies are to do with the ego. The ego is, is something you want to get rid of. You want to kill the ego. And in the world today, that seems abominable. We're raised to build our ego. Having self-confidence is one thing, but the ego is the barrier, is the barrier to understanding the reality because it doesn't, it really doesn't exist. But everything is in the ego. It's, it's kind of an inverse of the Western sort of sense, sense of values. For example, if you have a reversal in life, man of the path will be grateful for that. In other words, he'll say, Alhamdulillah, because it kills the ego. Someone insults him. The natural inclination is to... To fight back or to, to fight respond back. back. To, yes, right, to fight back or to... On a spiritual path, it's, that's good for you. It's kind of turning everything on, up, upside down. According to people of spirituality, everything lies in its opposite. If you want knowledge, you have to be content with ignorance and realize you have no knowledge. Yes. Only Allah... Allah covers your ignorance with his knowledge. So we know that the prophet was illiterate. He was ummi. He had no literacy. He didn't read his way into prophecy. It all came to him. And knowledge is like that. And uh, so it's unlocking that. Ghafil, the, the heedless person, is the one who plans what he is going to do with his day. And the dhakir, the one who remembers Allah, sees what Allah is doing with him. Mm. And it's, it, if, you, if you, you open that perception and you do this through rem remembrance of God, and it's also, dhikr Allah. And it's also a form of surrender because a heedless is planning their day. They think they're in control, whereas That's right. That's the opposite right. is of surrender, which I'm not in control, God is in control. Yeah. 
Right. And so that's the, 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 why for me the word purpose is problematic because it implies that you are in control, you have a purpose, you're going to do this thing. It isn't really like this. We're in a, in a very, very difficult time. It's never been worse in a certain way for young people because everything is okay. Everything is relative. When the internet came out, everyone thought this was the greatest thing that ever happened. And when social media came out, people thought, oh, that's wonderful. And there is something nice about it. But I've taught psychologists and psychiatrists, and they blame the malaise among young people on social media. I don't know enough about it. You know, I've asked people, what's the problem? And they said, it's social media. And I said, why? Because you're interacting with people you're talking to people you're but you're not really you're talking to a screen it's not a human interaction so people become increasingly lonely deeply yes. lonely uh, my friend uh, Abdul Hakim Murad told me the other day he said that in England I still don't I actually still don't believe it he said there's actually a minister of loneliness now in England interesting and I, and I said, you, come on, you must, you, you're just, you're kidding. It can't be true. He said, no, it's true. There's a minister of loneliness, I guess. Now that's, that says something very profound. People are very unhappy, very lonely, but they have all this, this activity and they're on, they're on social media and they get likes and they it's get- It's like a lot know, of, a lot of busy, yeah. busyness, but it's- Yeah. Jalaluddin Rumi, he- He's, he wrote, uh, or he said, that um, the difference between the way of Jesus and the way of Muhammad is that the way of Jesus is purifying the soul through isolation and withdrawing from the world, whereas the way of Sayyidina Muhammad is to purify the self with the world. And, and, and the whole it, idea of living with people, because that's with, where the yeah. work happens. That's right. So, but that's also why we have these severe restrictions. You can't do this. You can't do that. You need to do this. You have to, you know, you have to follow it, and then it works. If you just plunge yourself into the world, that's not. You miss the point. You can live in the world, you know, but not be of it. And I wonder, and, and going back to your own story too, is that you've been surrounded by people who are these saints, these roomies, these hidden roomies of the world. And you've been fortunate enough to, to have someone extend their hand to you and to carry you and to pull you. And a lot of, a lot of religion and a lot of faith is, is through connecting with that someone and then you're on a journey together. What would you say to that in terms of who was that person or who were those people who helped you in that journey, who took your hand and who guided you along? And maybe- Well, I, I was lucky. First of all, people think, well, I need, I need this person or that person. I have to have a shake. I have to have this and that. Everything is from Allah. Everything, 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 everything. Every breath we take is from God. God is closer to us than our jugular vein. This is what we're told in the Quran. God is present all the time. We're commanded to ask God for things. People have this idea that it's like a kind of spiritual supermarket, that there are all these people out there and they can pick and choose. And this is very problematic because then you have people who are not real, 
who are pretending to be something that they aren't. And this has become an increasing problem nowadays with media, with social media, with celebrity shakes or whatever, you know, everybody's called a shake now. And it's confusing for people. The first thing I, th I think you need, you need to be needy. You need to be desperate. That's the first thing. And that drives you. Someone asked, what should you bring to a shake? And I said, need. You need to be, you, if you don't need anything, you're not going to get anything out of a transaction with the person, no matter what. If you're happy with yourself, if you're complacent, if you're full of yourself, you won't benefit. Uh, so the first thing is you have to feel incredibly, desperately needy. And, and that state is the best state that you could be in. I was lucky because I was with a group where I kind of went along for the ride. I didn't know anything. I had no knowledge. I wasn't, wasn't learned or anything. I had enough sense to realize when I was meeting someone who was, was the real deal, was someone who, who was a spiritual person. The way that you, you sense this is their humility, their fine behavior, their spiritual courtesy, their adab, kindness, their, their generosity, all of these things. And the main thing is the, this incredible humility that these people have that's completely real. You wouldn't even be able to point them out if you walked into a room because that person would be the one serving the tea or serving the, That's That's right. In fact, uh, Muli Hashem Balghiti, who's my sheikh, he's like that. I mean, he's completely understated. And a friend of mine was at a, at a gathering that he, he was sort of presiding over, supposedly. And there were a couple of girls from the West someplace, I don't know where. They came to, to meet Muli Hashim. And after this gathering, uh, my friends met up with them and he said, did you meet Muli Hashim? They said, no, we're so disappointed. We didn't meet him. Very sad. Somebody else was there giving the talk and leading the vicar and <clears throat> he wasn't there. So as people do, someone had made a video of the gathering on their phone. My friend and the two girls were um, watching the video and he was panning across the room. And my friend said, no, 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 there's Muli Hashim, he's there. And they both burst into tears. And they said, that was the, he was the man that was serving us tea and asking us if we needed it. Humility, yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what, they're, they're there. And the whole of the spiritual path is like that. It's serving other people. It's, it's helping people. Uh, in, in my book, Signs on the Horizons, I, there's a sort of an anecdote in the book where I was sitting... Uh, with my Sheikh Sayyid Omar Abdullah. We were sitting outside the room where my other Sheikh, Habib Ahmed Mashur al-Haddad, was having a private meeting with someone. And I was just thinking, I thought, you know, he has, a, he has grandchildren, children, grandchildren, he has a very nice life, uh, you know, and yet he would be available for people from the morning until the night, every day. And he was in his, his, his mid-80s by that time. And I said to uh, Sayyid Omar, I said, I don't know how Habib can stand to be around someone like me. I really don't understand that. He's, and uh, Sayyid Omar said, Habib only wants to be alive because of someone like you. Mm, okay. otherwise, he, otherwise, he'd rather be with his Lord. This is the reality, is that we're all servants. You know, I mean, we're described as uh, uh, Abidullah, you know, we're servants, we're slaves of, of 
the moment. And, and part of that is to try to help people, you know, yes. do, do something small. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be a sheikh. You don't have to be an alim. There's something you can help someone with as long as you're not arrogating to yourself something you don't really mm. know. Just try to help somebody, help them along the way. And one of the first stages in you know, on a spiritual path is to separate yourself from people who can't raise your state. And there are two aspects to that. On the one hand, there are people who know more than you, so you want to sit with them to learn yes. from them. But on the other hand, there are people who know less than you. And, and you want you to sit can, with them, to, and you, with them and you, too. To, 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 try to, help, to try to help them. And that raises your state. Yes. So in both cases, part of what you do is you separate yourself from people who can't raise your state. So there are, there are all these stages that you, you can go through to reach that. And not simply um, Muslims that go through this. I mean, people who achieve success, then they find out that all the success and the money and the whatever it is that they've achieved, the position, the celebrity, all that, doesn't give them happiness. It doesn't make them happy. It's better to find this out early rather than at the, at the last minute, you know, and that's what usually happens. People spend so much time trying to, you know, fit in and trying and to- And to, to build this house, this identity. Yeah. Right, right. And then, yeah. and then you build this house and then you look at your house and you're like, this is not what I want. And then you break yeah. down this house and you right. start all over again. Right, and this is what happens. People, they think they're gonna be happy you know, achieving something, you're, you're never going to be happy because right. that isn't the source of happiness. The source of happiness exactly. is getting rid of the self. It's yeah. here. And the, the, the ego is the barrier. The ego is the barrier. And you need the ego to embark on the path. You need the, the willfulness of the ego, but you have to get rid of it. You have to end and let go of it, and let go of it, and where, let it be worn away. And it's this um, constant shedding of the layers. Yeah. Right, right, right. You know, it's you have the people say, well, how do you do that? You you do it by resisting the ego. If the ego wants the wants, to, if you want to eat an ice cream sundae, you say, uh, uh-uh, uh, I'm not going to do that. If you want people to look at you, you show off, you want to show off, and you realize that. You say, okay, I'm not going to do that. You you resist the ego, and you just you know it's a it, it's a it's a constant process, and it's not something that happens. We're used to instant everything. You know, you have people. I mean, we're living in a society where youth is glorified and old age is is marginalized. You know, put off into an old person's home. In traditional Muslim societies, old age is is venerated. People yes. have great respect. Uh, for for people who are elderly, you know, you can have an ignorant old person as as well as a young person, but uh, they so hold a higher it, position in the family. That's right. There's there's a respect for that. There's an understanding that age brings something, and the problem is you waste youth by people are emulating you, young people who don't know anything. You know, some twenty two year old pop star. They don't know anything. Well, how, would, how are they going to know something? Right. And then, you know, pe- people, they want to have a purpose in life. And this is, this is my, my issue with the, the word. And so, so they, they become, you know, they start trying to change the world or they get into politics or they try to save the whale or something. That's, it's all fine, but that's not going to solve things and it doesn't change the world. There are other ways to change things. And you can change things through in, in all sorts of ways, you know, just by changing one person. One person 
may affect a huge change. You know? One one small act at a time instead yeah. of yeah. Right. changing the and, world. And, right. And if you're serving people and if you and this is what happens with these people, the Aulia, the, the the men of God and women of God, because they're equally proportioned. Yes. There are as many women who have knowledge as men. We don't know who they are. They're they're hidden. And most of these people are hidden. They're not, they don't want to be known. What is, your, what is your message? What message would you like to convey at this moment in this time of the world? I did a book tour last year with uh, Peter Sanders. And one of the things that we found slightly disturbing was that there was not so much interest in spirituality and a lot of interest in, activ- in what's called activism. I, I'm not even sure what that is. But I think that's tricky. That's dangerous, to, um, mainly because I don't think it will change anything. Where you have, in in the U.S., for example, and in Britain, and also across Europe, there are systemic problems, not something that can be changed easily. And the Prophet said, "Have sabr, show endurance, because you will not come to a time." that isn't worse than the time before it until you meet your Lord. I've watched this over the last 40, 40 to 50 years. It just gets worse and worse. Yes. You know, I mean, in 1979, you had the siege of the Haram, you had the, uh, the invasion of Afghanistan, and you had the Iranian Revolution. Right. And you thought, whoa, it can't get worse than this. This is really dark stuff going on, you know, the hostage crisis and all of that. And it just got worse. It just it keeps getting worse. I mean, the 9-11, you think it can't get any worse than this. And then ISIS rears its ugly head and it, and it, got, and it just got worse. It's just getting worse and worse. And so the world is in a state of entropy and disarray. But I have to say, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, he called me and he, he said, I hope he doesn't mind me recounting this, but... He, he was saying, you know, the world is, it's really, it's terrible. It's going to hell. And then there was a pause and he said, but I'm doing all right. <laughs> and I said, me too. And everybody I know is doing all right. And yet right. the world, look at this, look at this pandemic. I mean, it's yes. horrible, but I'm doing all right. And my son, who is an executive chef in a huge hotel and who was furloughed, I said, just everything is from Allah. He had the best furlough ever. He was so happy when he went back to work. That was, wasn't so pleasant. You have to look and see what the gifts that Allah has given all of us and, and being, being grateful for what we have. I mean, I, I met a young guy in London who was just so wound up and very unhappy and everything. And I said, just stop, stop for a minute. Now just look up and the sky was you know, shocking, electric blue. It was so beautiful. I said, look at that. Come on, look at that. Look at, look at the tree. Look at, the, you know, what, what we have. We have, we have health, we have- and It's the whole idea so- of gratitude. It's the gratitude, exactly. being grateful for yeah. every moment, despite right, right. what's uh, going on. Right, Allah is in the opinion of his slave. So have a good opinion of your Lord. This is extremely important, I think, for young people to see that. The other thing I would suggest for young people is don't, don't look at the news very much. It's poisonous. Yes. It's, it's become utterly toxic. Whether it's true or not doesn't matter. It's, it, you're not going to learn anything. And have long-term relationships with people that can help you, can ra- raise your state. I have friends that I've had for 50 years. 
and they're still my friends, and they're salihin. What happens is that you love them. You end up loving them. Why? Because what they're trying to do is difficult, and what you're trying to do is difficult, and you know the struggle of, of trying to open the heart and pray and remember God, and you know that it's, it's, it goes against everything in the world today that we know. So you see these people and you, you just, you love them. One of my friends asked Muni Hashem Balagiti, he said, what, is, what accelerates knowledge of God? What is the thing that takes, and he said, love. Mm. Love. How do you build that love? Well, you build it through being with people who are, you, you love them in God, in Allah. And then if you meet people of, who, of spirituality, uh, people who are, you know, awliya, people who are close to God, this is one of the things that characterizes them. You know, you read these books, and very often people misunderstand they, they, because, you know, you're supposed to love the sheikh. It isn't like that. They love you first. They love you first. They find you, you first. And they find yeah, they you first. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, somebody came to, a friend, friend of mine came to Muli Hashim, and he said, how can I select a sheikh? And he said, who are you to select a sheikh? He just exactly. laughed. He said, who, who are you? It's, it's, it's something written, and it's not they do it or something. It's this is from God. I wrote this in the book you know, that, you know, mad people, insane people, one of the characteristics of a, a mad person is that they think that the entire universe is conspiring against them. And a sane person is really someone who, who believes and understands that the entire universe is conspiring for you. And, and God is, is, is the most merciful of the merciful. And this is how you know God, by learning how he describes himself. He is Latif, Khabir. He's gracious, he's gentle, he's Rauf, Rahim. He has all these names. You have these new age people who are saying there's no such thing as hell. Well, no, there is. All you, all you have to do is look at the world. There's lots of hellish things in the world, and the next world is just quintessence of, of whatever that is. So hell exists. Allah uh, says, my mercy uh, is over my wrath, my anger. It's seeing how Allah, seeing the beauty of Allah, seeing the, the majesty of God, you know, when yes. you're in a storm or something, all of these things, and seeing Allah in everything, in every, in every breath, in every, in every person, having a good opinion of people, you know, th this is a struggle. That's what's difficult. And I'm going to use purpose here i know you don't like this word but well, this know, is probably the, the, our, our purpose no. uh, <laughs> you're it's probably what purpose of seeing everything as people yeah. seeing yeah, god, yes. god in everything yeah no i and, and i yes that's true you see when you're from my point of view that's our purpose our purpose is to know god and to know god to be able to see god and we, you, you have to use your intellect first. So you see God, you have to say, okay, this is beautiful, right? You have to tell yourself that. But people who, who reach a certain spiritual station, they see it. It is, they don't have to tell themselves that they see the beauty of Allah. They see the majesty of Allah. They see the lutf of, of Allah. It's well worth 
spending time doing it. Following the path, people, young people have this idea that it's supposed to happen very quickly. You know, yes. we have instant, instant nirvana and, and that's a problem. And this is why people get involved with drugs and all kinds of stimulants and because they want something immediate to happen. And it doesn't work that way. It's a commitment of a lifetime. I mentioned this in the book that sometimes these openings don't happen until a few minutes before you die. But what a way to go. Muli Hashem turned to me once and he said, we don't die. The body dies. The body the uses soul, like clothing. The soul lives, right? The ruh lives. Uh, yeah. What is it that we really like? Do we like somebody because of their looks? When you're six years old, you don't look the same as when you're 26. And when you're 56, you don't look the same as when you were 26. And when you're 66 or 106, you certainly don't look the way that you looked when you were six. So who is it that you love? What is it the thing that, the, it's the ruh, it's the, it's the spirit of the person. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't die. That doesn't die uh, for anybody. Thank you so much for this yeah. conversation. Well, it's, I hope it was of some value to somebody. No, Please forgive was. me if I say, said anything wrong. No, no. I, I'm, I tend to be very inappropriate sometimes. Yeah. No, you're real. You're authentic. And that's what I like about you. Well, thank you. You're real too. And authentic. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And yeah, I encourage everybody to read this book. I have me too. I have an autographed <laughs> copy from you. My son read it too. He loved it. He's 19 oh, years old. Thank oh, really? Oh, good. Be healthy and may you stay blessed. Amen. Amen. Jamia, inshallah. Thank you. Both of us. Thank you. Thank you. Allah